creation of a new information operations technical training school. So in our business of national security, where our job is to fly, fight, and win, we better be masters at this game of innovation. Air Force Basic Military Training has an updated curriculum with a new focus on readiness and lethality. This is the Developing Mach 21 Airmen Podcast. Hey, hey, everybody, back at it on the pod today, which, by the way, is episode number 10. If you're keeping track, thanks for the subscribe, stream, or download. However, you might be listening in today. Have some extra time. We certainly would appreciate some stars or even a review of the podcast. Let us know how we're doing, bringing you timely and relevant info in the education and training world. My name is Dan Hawkins from the Air Education and Training Command Public Affairs Office and your host for this professional development podcast dedicated to bringing total force, big A airmen, insight, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from the recruiting, training, and education field. In the interest of full disclosure, this edition of the podcast goes back to my Air Force beginnings, my days in security forces, and it really was just a lot of fun to spend time with the teams at the 343rd Training Squadron that are running both enlisted and officer initial skills training at the Security Forces Academy over at Joint Base San Antonio Lackland, and they talked about recent changes in the curriculum that have put officers and enlisted in the Air Force's largest career field in the training pipeline together. And they also spent a good deal of time talking about how they're innovating with technology to open up a brand new world to our future defenders in terms of how they prepare to make critical decisions in potentially dangerous situations. So if you've listened to our podcast pretty loyally, you know that we talk a lot on the podcast about how units all across AATC are now going full throttle in breaking those long-held industrial age training paradigms that can be learning limiters. Those paradigms include that the Air Force controls learning, time is the constant, or the last one being that we just teach airmen how to do a job. So on today's podcast, We sat down with Captain Jeremiah Baxter, who is the officer in charge of the Security Forces Apprentice Course. We also talked with Captain Zachary Watkins, the OIC of the SF Officer Technical Training Course, along with Senior Master Sergeant Brendan King, the Operations Superintendent of the 343rd Training Squadron, and Master Sergeant Henry Crook from the SF Officer Technical Training Course, and dove deep into one of the biggest changes they have taken on in initial skills training, and that's the integration of the officer enlisted together in that training pipeline, which speaks really to that last paradigm of just teaching airmen how to do a job. With the integration, they are teaching the defenders not just how to do the job, but instead ensuring they learn leadership holistically in the context of a mission by actually putting them in real leadership situations including deployment-like scenarios, helping produce more lethal and ready security forces airmen at the end of the pipeline. We also spent some time on the pod talking about legacy in the security forces career field and how important that is and how it impacts training, as well as how technology like Milo, which is a firearms training simulation, and virtual reality have added new dimensions to their use of force training, And that led us into a really major topic that we spent some time on, 
discussing how their partnership with AppWorks is helping them add the technology into the security forces curriculum and update it to their needs in almost real time, helping the academy produce more lethal and ready airmen with the competencies and skill sets needed to accomplish the mission in a contested environment, supporting Air Force requirements and Joint Force Commander needs. So sit back, buckle in, episode 10 of Developing Mach 21 Airmen starts right now. So Captain Baxter, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Captain Jeremiah Baxter. I'm the uh, officer in charge of the Security Forces Apprentice Course. I've been in the Air Force for eight years. Uh, been with Security Forces the entire time. Cat Watkins, or were you? Zachary Watkins, uh, Captain in charge of the Officer Course, Security Forces Officer Technical Training. Uh, quick background, started off at the Academy, then went to Minot Air Force Base for a couple years, then Osan. Spent time as flight commander at both of those bases. After that, went into, did school for 18 months at the University of Southern Mississippi. Uh, graduated there, and my payback assignment was right here at the 343rd Training Squadron, where I took over this position. And Senior Master Sergeant King? So, my name is Senior Master Sergeant Brandon King. I've been in the Air Force about 20 years. Uh, most of that time has been in security forces. I did do a four-year stint as a first sergeant. Um, also been stationed at 343rd one previous time before as a, an instructor. And I'm here now as the uh, operations superintendent. Okay, Mass Sergeant uh, Henry Crook. Been in for 16 years now. Stationed everywhere from Malmstrom Air Force Base to McDill. After that, up back to Minot Air Force Base before coming down here. Some of the different things I've done before entailed convoys up in uh, Air Force School Strike to uh, PSD, Protective Services Detail, down in McDill. Well, a lot of experience in this room. We're talking about such a great topic today. We're talking training here at the Security Forces Academy, and there's so much going on. But where I first kind of wanted to go down the road with was the overall training environment and producing lethal and ready airmen. And... You know, you talk about the environment here at the academy, but what is it ultimately at the end of the day that you guys hang your hat on here at the Security Forces Academy when it comes to training airmen? Yeah, I would say that, you know, the biggest thing as far as what we want to get after overall when an airman were to leave here, just overall training is that at the end of the day, we are producing and training airmen that are able to shoot, move, and communicate in any environment we put them out there. So I know we are providing airmen to all different match comms across the world, all different bases between CONUS, OCONUS, uh, USAFE, PACAF, and all, all the different missions that are out there. At the end of the day, as long as we're producing those basic airmen that can shoot, move, and communicate, when they get to their first base, they'll be able to understand what that mission is and adapt those shoot, move, communicate skills to that particular mission. That's overall what our intent is here for the Academy. Yeah. And I think a lot of people who maybe aren't familiar with the environment here right now don't understand you guys really are in a, a time of flux because you just did a curriculum revamp and now you're in the process of validating the course. So can you just kind of explain what that really means? So May 2017, the initial uh, STRT or the requirements from the Security Forces Executive Team came down and gave us uh, what they basically wanted us to teach at what uh, skill level. 
So we took that and uh, developed that for a little over a year. We launched all of our courses in uh, July of 2018. Uh, so we had about a year of, of trying to mesh everything together from the, the integration piece, lining up the uh, initial skills together and some of our other courses, like the intermediate course, the security courses, advanced course, and our uh, seven level course as well. So we launched all those courses in uh, July of 2018. And uh, now we're going through the validation process. And how long does that take? What does that look like? Uh, it's typically three runs of a course uh, from start to finish typically. And uh, through those, those three validation courses, that's where we identify things that maybe we've overlooked or um, Long story short, didn't get right the first time. We're just gonna, going to adjust fire and make it the best possible product we can for the uh, the airmen coming through and for the uh, members out in the field to get that lethal and ready defender. I think a lot of times, too, people don't know exactly how these curriculums are built. So can you talk a little bit about the standard? What What is the standard on what is actually taught at the academy? <laughs> Right, absolutely. So as far as the apprentice course is concerned and, and how we come about what we teach our airmen at the basic level is we go right back to HALF and as far as what the TRGs are producing. So HALF has designed the curriculum or designed the desires of the career field to say you will teach certain objectives to a certain PCK code, which means to a certain level we will teach these objectives. Majority of the time within the apprentice course it's to that basic three-level airman across the board of your law and order, your security, and then your ground combat skills as far as the three major objectives we want to teach across with our airmen. So we'll take what half is designed within the TRG and we will look at our training development section and they will start producing lesson plans, they'll start producing course flows, they kind of marry up with those objectives. So within the Security Forces Apprentice course, we have 65 training days. And spread throughout all those 65 training days are all objectives that the SF Executive Council and have to determine these are the things we want our airmen to learn at that basic three-level uh, position. So from there, we don't necessarily dictate what we are teaching our airmen, but we do kind of dictate in the realm of how we teach our airmen. So within those objectives, we get after half says, teach this. We will take that back and we'll say, here's how we want to teach it, signing our lesson plans designing our training areas, designing some of our scenarios and our exercises on how we get after developing that airman to a certain level. Some levels are just the basic uh, aspects of our career field, like handcuffing and searching. Hey, you seem to know, learn how to handcuff and search. Other aspects go in more, more in depth, like use of force or deadly force, where we do have to make sure they have certain scenarios and they understand fully the consequences of their action. And that takes more hours, more training, and those are not objectives. But again, that also comes back to the level of training that half is dictated we want our airmen to learn from. And I know from the officer course standpoint, Captain Watkins probably dive yeah. in a little bit farther. Yeah, so much the same. But even beyond the technical aspects of the training that we do, the course and how it's instructed and the instruction that we pass on to our students is driven a lot by intent. We've had a lot of communications with headquarters, air force and leadership and our wing group and squadron all the way down, uh, specifically through the year of the defender, the reconstitute defender initiative that, Hey, we want defenders to be more lethal, more effective, um, capable as uh, Captain Baxter was saying, shoot, move and communicate and to do it well. 
And ultimately, our schoolhouse is charged with producing battlefield airmen. That's what these guys are when they graduate. They wear the beret. They run towards gunfire rather than away from it when it happens. And that's what we're charged with doing here and making sure that every airman that leaves this schoolhouse has the courage and the mental fortitude to be able to do that. And that's the intent that we use to drive how we train and what we train. Uh, and if any of the training, regardless of whether we're technically meeting the intent or checking the box or what's written down, if we're not producing airmen that do that, then we're not doing our jobs. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, what can those supervisors <clears throat> out in the field expect from these airmen and young officers who are graduating from the Security Forces Academy when they get out to the field? Honestly, they're going to get a motivated airman that's probably done more stuff in their initial skills training than what some of them have received currently at their, their home station. Um, you know, here with this recent uh, iteration of the, the course development we've done, added uh, combatives with the, the Red Man in there. We brought back land nav, whereas previously the, the previous course didn't have land nav um, or dismounted tactics, and we brought all that back into to the initial skills. Um, so really, they're going to get a, a energized defender who's who's done a lot. Uh, that not necessarily are they going to be experts at it, but they're going to they're going to be just that apprentice level airman coming there looking for uh, guidance and feedback from their supervisors. But they will be motivated and they're going to be eager to learn. So it's the uh, the responsibilities level to those out in the field to to grab them and take them and to teach them and to lead them to develop them. So what their mission needs there at their units. Yeah, and I, would, and I would echo too on top of you know them getting a motivated defender. At the end of the day, you know we still carry on the discipline that they learned in BMT throughout our entire aspect of training. So we talk about you know airmen and marching. We have airmen march during tech school. March everywhere in formation. No airmen's allowed to be left alone. So we talk about a two-person concept that goes back to our PRP days, our global strike and the things that they may be doing at certain uh, missile wings or other areas where nuclear weapons are there, or uh, PL-1 assets. Um, so we talk about two-person concept. They'll have to be in pairs wherever they go. No airmen supposed to be alone. Uh, we don't do objectives as individuals. We do objectives as teams. We do objectives as pairs. So we teach that aspect. Um, the discipline side of things, we, uh, we still hold them to standards. Um, we are ensuring that all our cadre are out and about all the time. We're seeing what the airmen are doing. They're living in their dorms. So the same dorms they'll be living in as airmen. We're holding them to standards. They're having to do blues inspections on a regular basis. They're still having to do room inspections on a regular basis. So all those aspects of a BMT, we're still carrying on that legacy to ensure that we have disciplined and motivated airmen that leave our academy. And the same goes aside for the officer side. I know Sergeant Crook can talk to some of the things we do there and what we're getting out of the, the officers and coming out of their tech school as well. Yeah, and that's probably a good place to transition um, into a topic that I find really, really interesting, and that's the integration of officers and enlisted here with the initial skills training. So, um, just from a strategic big picture perspective, you know, what was kind of the genesis for doing that and the reimagining, if you will, what that training environment looks like? Um, for both the enlisted and the officers, and, and then when when did all this uh, kind of come together? So this is me and Captain Watkins' area of expertise, being with the officer course and bringing in this new integration. So back in July of 2018, last year, we started doing this, and it basically provides the officers uh, opportunity to lead before going out into the operational environment. So they get that experience 
you know, 104 students right in front of you here. You get that opportunity to learn, make mistakes here before you go out there. And uh, can yeah, so we've we've shifted significantly from the way the officer course used to be run. It was two classes a year with 52 officers, and the only leadership they experience in the course is leading their peers, uh, captains, lieutenants. Uh, rarely uh, or infrequently, we'd have lieutenant colonels and majors in the course uh, leading each other as they go throughout on a rotational basis. Whereas now we have smaller classes four times a year so that officers can hopefully get into tech school before staying at their base for up to 10 months we've seen previously. Uh, we get them here sooner. We break up into smaller teams and immediately after their first day of being on the ground, they're given airmen and they're charged with leading those airmen through all 65 days of training that they're going to be integrated with them. Uh, for the first several weeks, they're just charged with building rapport, learning names, faces, uh, who those airmen are so that when they get to that expeditionary skills phase at the very end of training, that they're able to lead them effectively in a combat environment. Uh, and they do that and it's entirely different as we found than it was with leading their peers in the previous course where it could very easily be seen if they just wouldn't take it seriously or they'd be able to laugh off to the side about it. But when there's airmen that they're going to be leading operationally after they graduate, uh, they look at it with an entirely different mindset. And I think they have a new appreciation for what they're doing here at tech school than they did before. And it's definitely been a benefit for the officers and the airmen alike. Well, and it kind of talks to breaking those long-held industrial age paradigms of we're not just teaching these officers how to do a job. We're actually teaching them in the context of doing the actual mission. Um, so they're getting that strategic look, um, you know, leadership-wise uh, at a earlier point left leaning so to speak in Absolutely. the training and and so what has the feedback been um so far i know there's some early returns right and there's always um tweaks that need to be made but so far what are what is it looking like of course with any new course being implemented there's going to be growing pains but we've been able to with the our excellent instructors to basically go over the after action reports and the end of course surveys and see where we can tweak things to make it better for the next one. But overall, I think it's been a benefit for both the officers and the enlisted, especially out at Cambulis where the environment is more challenging and gives them a chance to lead these young enlisted troops and not just their peers like Kevin Watkins was just saying. Um, what I love about it is at the beginning, combatives, the officers are in there with the enlisted and they're rolling with them and you're going to have to bring your A game or you're going to get choked out by an airman. So <laughs> it basically tells them, gives them that experience of uh, they're not too good or too big for something. They're going through everything that the airmen do. So they have that experience. They, have, they know what they're going through and able to uh, provide that knowledge once they go into the career field. It all goes back to, to trying to instill an identity into the airmen and the officers as they graduate here. Uh, you look at any of our other Battlefield Airmen career field counterparts, and officers and enlisted train the same. They go through the same in-doc, the same tech school. They work side by side as they go through that extremely challenging element uh, of, their, uh, of their growth into officership or in, uh, just into their jobs. And we're trying to do the same here. Not every enlisted team will have officers, but every officer that goes through the tech school will have enlisted members that they're going to be leading as they go through that. And I think they're definitely better off for it. To say that the reception was poor early on uh, would be an understatement. It definitely was not well received by even, I would say, even instructors and the students alike. But as we've iterated and grown through some of the initial 
stumbling blocks that we saw in some of the first courses as we executed them, we've got definitely gotten to a much better product that is producing uh, students that are going to benefit the career field in the Air Force alike. And you specifically mentioned uh, out in Camp Bullis, and we talked a little bit before we actually started recording the podcast about how our officers will go out to a Minot or a, a missile field and have large numbers of airmen. So um, how, how do you see that training early translate in that expeditionary environment and, and the realism that it provides for everybody? I kind of look at that, you know, I, I look at it from this standpoint is it gains some credibility. You know, overall, as far as when they're doing these aspects of their troop leading procedures, they're being squad leaders, they're those flight commanders within the integrated teams with the airmen, it gives them credibility, it gives them a leg to stand on uh, when they get there with their airmen because lo and behold, they will graduate and a lot of these airmen are going to global strike. They'll be going to the same bases as the lieutenants and lo and behold, you'll get there and you'll be a flight commander at Minot, Malmstrom or F.E. Warren and you'll literally see airmen you're probably on the same team with. And then Airman can look at you and say, he went through the same stuff I did. He did the same training. In all actuality, he led me through that training. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the first to do OC pepper spray. He was the first to make sure I understood what land nav was in my tech school. And they're building that credibility and they're building that rapport with these airmen at an early age. Because before, you know, you had a few touch points as far as when the officers got to talk with the enlisted here or there. But that's all it really was, is we were talking to them, we were kind of briefing them and everything like that. But now you're literally having these officers and lead them through scenarios, lead them through exercises that, you know, Captain Watkins and the team at Camp Bullis have designed. And it really, that's where the credibility comes into. And that's where they, they had that leg to stand on because <clears throat> these airmen that they just led through training, they got to leave on lead operationally too. And that's, that's a great aspect of what I think, you know, I see from the apprentice course side and the feedback we get from the airmen is that, you know, a lot of times they don't have that officer interaction. And they never understood an officer could do the same things that, that they could do or anything like of, of the sort. And, and I think that's where we gain a lot of our leadership aspects and the credibility, just to Sergeant Crook's point of, yeah, if you don't, if you don't bring your A game, you get choked up by an airman. That, 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 that's going to happen. And it, it has happened before and, and those aspects, but it doesn't, because they're officers, doesn't mean they're too good to get down there and dirty with the airmen. You got to learn, you know, what your airmen are doing in order to lead them through these scenarios. Doesn't mean you can always do it, but you got to learn what they're doing and where they're coming from, so you can really make those tactical level decisions on the ground as a new flight commander. And that's just that's where we're gaining it right now is that credibility for a lot of our lieutenants. And I know Senior King could probably touch back to when what we were doing in the past and where what he's seen from his uh, 20 years in for the from the officer side of things. Well, I know what we're doing now. The one thing that Ken Baxter was kind of talking about as far as building credibility. I believe it really helps the uh, the officers find their their leadership style, their tactical leadership style, and they can learn from one another out there at Camp Bullis as, as far as um, using the experiences they had out there, what worked for them, what didn't work for them. Maybe you know their approach is wrong, or maybe there's a, another officer that's leading a group of uh, enlisted airmen that you know one's able to observe what's working for that person and what's not. So it kind of helps tailor them to put little uh, experiences or nuggets uh, for them to take operationally and, and when they get to base X as, as that new flight commander, uh, first time standing in front of their flight, they don't make some of the uh, the mistakes that they've already seen or been, been witness to or experienced themselves. So it just, like I said, it, it builds that credibility um, 
And as, as an enlisted member, I can only imagine what some of the uh, young airmen are feeling whenever they see that their their officers are going through training with them because that's why well, it's been done a long time ago. Um, I've never seen it up until some of the more advanced courses do we do we uh, train with the, the O's and the E's together. How has the staff been able to adapt, you know, especially when you start looking at maybe other tech training environments that may be looking at a change uh, on this level? I can speak a little bit to it, specifically with, uh, with officer course and enlisted course. They've typically been completely separate entities where we have instructors that are focused on officer instruction and tying back each piece of instruction with some type of strategic vision and reason or a leadership philosophy that builds into why an officer needs to know what a duty officer check looks like. And we build in those layers of understanding. Whereas on the apprentice course side, we're more focused on technical information, making sure that you understand the facts about what you need to do so that you can accomplish the technical task rather than understanding the vision and the intent for why that task is accomplished. When the courses were integrated, those two teaching styles I won't say they clash, but they didn't blend as easily as we thought they would. Uh, more like oil and water. And we really had to go through a, a different level of chemistry to try to make that instructorship work. Uh, so that when we do integrate and officer instructors are teaching apprentice course classes and apprentice course instructors are teaching the officer classes simultaneously when we're integrated in the classroom. Because they do, they sit next to each other in the chairs and learn the same information side by side for much of the instruction. The officers do break away at some points and learn different uh, different lessons that focus more on that officer specific. So they do still get that strategic intent, uh, but to allow the instructors to focus more on that development of their own instructional skills, be able to teach to a wider audience uh, was definitely beneficial and allowed our schoolhouse and our instructors to grow individually. So I think the quality of instruction at the schoolhouse has been better across the board as a result of it. Well, and and I guess at the end of the day, right, we're always all trying to improve no matter what job we have uh, in the Air Force, including our instructors. Um, talking about additions to the things that you guys are doing at um, the apprentice course level and the officers and the enlisted coming together, but you're also doing a lot with technology. So I want to kind of transition uh, towards that. Um, and you guys have two huge additions in that department that's really helping security forces um, get out on the forward edge uh, of the battle space even further than they have been. Um, and that's through the use of virtual reality um, and also uh, um, upgraded FATS or firearm training simulator, the Milo system, they call it the FATS 2.0. Um, so could you guys kind of talk about these two uh, upgrades to your curriculum and, and um, how they came about and, and how that's progressing? Yeah, so I'll touch on uh, Milo. We talk about the FATS 2.0 real quick before we kind of dive into the virtual reality aspect of what we're doing in training. So within our deadly force section, on our use of force section of our training, we really started to integrate technology into a lot of our scenario-based training. So prior to any type of technology or prior to you know any type of screen time or videos being used with our use of force at Deadly Force, a lot of our scenarios were built around airmen actors. So you would pull airmen from the individual team, the instructor would give them a scenario and say, I need you to act out a domestic situation, I need you to act out a suicide situation, 
or I need you know name the situation that a law enforcement officer may encounter on the daily job, and that airman would have to act out that situation, and we'd go into those shoot no shoot scenarios that we would use for deadly force. And at the end of the day, you know, as great actors as airmen are, you tend to find that sometimes they go far to the left and far to the right, or sometimes they just don't do anything at all, and it doesn't exactly fit the exact scenario every single time that we try to get after from a deadly force or a use of force scenario. And that's where the technology is really coming in to help us better our airmen on deadly force, on no shoot and shoot scenarios, and even on their using their use of force uh, progression. Because now you're using actual scenarios that are the same for all the airmen, and you can see how they react. <clears throat> and based on those reactions and with the Milo system being a screen in front of them, they're reacting to a scenario in front of them. They have a weapon system that is tied to that Milo, <clears throat> usually their M9, depending on how they're responding to a certain situation. And they can use that scenario that's in front of them that's the same for all the airmen, and the instructors can look how they're interacting with that scenario. Yes, it may look like you're shouting in a screen at some point, but at the end of the day, the scenario-based training gets far better results on the Milo system versus we're doing the airman-based training in like a, in a glass house or anything else with that. And another factor, so we, we look at that and we say, all right, we're, we're getting after the Milo, we're looking at the screen time. Another factor, too, is weather. Weather is a huge pain for us sometimes when we talk about firing ranges and everything like that. And Milo also helps us get after weapons familiarization and weapons firing. So we can put airmen in front of these screens, we can go through our AFQC qualification course, we can show them before we even get out to the range exactly what our AFQC qualification course is going to look like and start manipulating that weapon system so you can implement certain types of jams, uh, your misses, your other things that may they may run into when they're live firing and everything. So with that, that also helps familiarize the airmen prior to even live firing. Because at the end of the day, we are getting airmen that may have never touched weapon system in their entire life. And the first time they're doing that is when they're going through technical training. So with that, if we can introduce slow integrations of the familiarization with weapons firing, that'll also help get after that. And that's where Milo can come in in those aspects as well. And that's really interesting because it kind of, you know, a lot of times you wouldn't think you, we're doing the same kinds of things they're doing in flying training. But for example, with the use of virtual reality and, and the, the sims that they have at Pilot Training Next, for example, where they're able to fly um, all the approach patterns at a certain base before they ever go to that base and actually fly it a uh, hundred times before they fly it for real, um, just really helps and enhances that training environment. Um, specifically when it comes to the virtual reality um, and the 360 uh, degree video, how is that being incorporated uh, into the training and, and what's the purpose? Yeah, so much along the lines of how Pilot Training Next came to exist, the AFWORKS program. So we, I think everyone, it's not a loss on anybody in the Air Force that some of our systems slow us down a lot and the procurement process is definitely one of them. Sometimes by the time we acquisition a new technology and are able to employ it, it's already obsolete. Uh, so what we try to do and what the Air Force is trying to do with AFWORKS is get programs and get technology that's bleeding edge into the schoolhouses and into units faster so that we can use them before they again become obsolete. So virtual reality is definitely in that, that leading edge of technology and uh, we found a, a company that allowed us to do that with law enforcement type discrimination drill scenarios, much like the FATS and the Milo system allow us to do. 
but it's something that's not really in development yet. And so partnering with this company via AppWorks, they provided us at no cost to us several virtual reality systems that we're putting our students into and allowing them to utilize these systems in training. The New York Police Department, NYPD, they use the same system right now uh, that we're using in our schoolhouse and definitely is uh, this is definitely great feedback from the students on it. And as we're going through and iterating as the students use it, we're finding areas that it could be better and they're actively developing the virtual reality system for us as we go. Like as we're speaking right now, they're currently uh, 3D printing an M4 rifle for us to be able to utilize it in our training and employ it so that we can have a use of force spectrum that we can apply. So that students aren't bound to just using their handgun or not using it. They'll have non-lethal weapons that they can apply. They'll be able to use pepper spray, a flashlight, which you can also do in the Milo system, as we've seen, uh, the M4 rifle, or even a taser. Uh, all of those are being built and provided to us via this company. And then at the end, we're able to de determine whether this is something we want to continue using our training, uh, whether we want to purchase it, or even if we don't, other security forces units or any unit really in the Air Force, now that it's developed, can choose to purchase it and utilize it for their training. However, the feedback we've gotten from students is that it is fantastic. And I tell you, the moment you put on a virtual reality headset, the first time you're immersed in a world that completely <laughs> sucks you in. Uh, and uh, it's, it's hard to distinguish at some points uh, reality from what is virtual. And it's definitely a great training aid for our students. And every student that's put on the headset has been a pretty magical moment. Yeah, they, they, you have gotten to the detail too, you know, with this virtual reality headset. Like we're talking about, like we're <clears> gonna <throat> teach gate runner scenarios, for instance. They've built the gate at like Shaw Air Force Base where they can build, you know, actual Air Force Base gates and airmen can see what it, maybe their base they're going to looks like and they can start understanding, hey, here's how I check the ID or here's maybe where that button is on top of the barrier systems or uh, everything like that. So it's it's fantastic feedback that we can give to our airmen and show them where they should have stood or they didn't stand or, hey, you sh probably should have drawn your weapon or here's what you should have been looking at uh, in certain scenarios. And I think it's a great addition to our uh, spectrum of training that we have here at the Academy. So has it been something where the use of, of these technologies has really paid off at, in the end for the airmen as they get evaluated to pass those standards that they need to pass? How has that translated um, from that virtual reality world to the actual evaluation part of training? You know, at, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's another tool in our, our toolkit that we can use uh, to get after deadly force and use of force scenarios. Um, no system in and of itself is ever perfect, but you know, tying in our Milo system, our virtual reality, our scenarios that we're doing with the airmen, they can run through multitude of scenarios on all different systems, and that really makes them a better airman, a better law enforcement officer once they get to their first base. Because now it's saying, "Hey, I see multiple scenarios. You know, yeah, I understand it's not the real job or what's happening live, but at the same time, it just it allows us to put more." You know, more scenarios in front of airmen, different different aspects of what's going on, different technology just allows that uh, great opportunity to train. And I think that's something that we've seen, and you know, Sergeant Crook can see what he's seen from the ground level at the instructors, too. Is there's a lot of benefit there, I believe, yeah. Well, why not? I mean, I've always been the one that believes in, you know, the glass houses and the drills, no matter what type of equipment you have, you still have your fingers, your little pew-pews right here in your brain. So constantly drilling, in whatever environment you have, but why not use these uh, virtual reality? I mean, like you said, it's just more experience for them going forward.
Yeah, it's what they are and relate to nowadays is video games. True. So yeah. when you can uh, bring in Milo or VR systems, they're already familiar with a, a lot of technology. And so it relates to them, so they grasp it quicker, honestly. Uh, a lot of those, uh, the young airmen will probably be better at it than some of us guys that's been <laughs> in for a little while. Uh, even though we know the, the the techniques and stuff, they'll just get it quicker and and... It grabs their attention, and when you get their attention, then they learn. Definitely. Definitely grabs their attention. It makes them feel like they're being invested in. They're like, oh, this stuff's pretty high speed, you know, and they actually care about the training and, you know, that monetary <laughs> factor as well, putting it into the training. Yeah. We've been able to make it happen without the technologies. Our airmen have been able to meet the standard uh, before they graduate, regardless of whether they had the technology or not. But unfortunately, I think this... Uh, I know for a fact that this is a mindset that we, even as a as a career field, need to get away from of us just making it happen with what we have. And these technologies are the, one of the first steps that we have to really get away from that. What we say, instead of just making it happen, why don't we make it the best we can? Uh, using these you know, leading edge technologies to not just meet the standard, but exceed it. So that we have airmen that graduate, not just being able to do it, but actually have some level of competence when they arrive at their first phase. So you, you guys mentioned your partnership with AFWorks. So how did that come about? Uh, AFWorks, you know, is really out there trying to connect military and, and industry um, to make warfighters more agile and adaptive. And you kind of talked to that. But how did that AFWorks partnership kind of evolve? And, and uh, how beneficial, you know, in, at the end of the day, has that partnership with AFWorks been, especially when it comes to uh, developing uh, these new tools uh, for training? So it's actually, uh, so the company Street Smarts VR reached out to us initially saying, hey, we have a product and we know that y'all teach law enforcement and we think this could be a potential use to you, take a look. And we invited them to come down, they flew out at their own expense and just gave us a demo. And like I was mentioning earlier, the first time you put on a virtual reality headset and that you get that magical moment where you're in a different world and now I'm in a law enforcement scenario where I'm responding to a domestic incident. I was there until I took the headset off and I'm like, I'm back in the classroom. <laughs> and so I was pretty amazed at the technology and felt very confident that this is something that would definitely benefit the career field. And so we reached out and started working through AFWorks that way to say, hey, is it possible for us to, to potentially do something like this? And of course, looked at competitors and others uh, and then found that this is one of the only uh, venues we have currently that would allow us to do what we're trying to do. Uh, and the AFWorks partnership has been fantastic. Our squadron hasn't spent a dime at this point on procuring these new technologies and we're able to implement them and use them. Our students, we've had hundreds of students already put these VR headsets on and utilize them in training at no cost to us. So one of the benefits, not only I think of bringing in the new technologies uh, to allow us to use them, but it's expanding the perspectives and the mindsets of people, even in our career field, because we've been kind of locked into our ways of doing things for a long time. And finally, something that's no risk for a commander to say, let's try it, why not? And then realizing there's all of these benefits for allows us to grow as an organization and hopefully as a career field later on. So AFWorks has been fantastic for that. And of course, getting past the bureaucratic red tape of even if a commander wanted to procure technology like this outside of, uh, I guess, the AFWorks program would take years to even be able to test it. Uh, so to actually get it in and employ it without uh, having the, the time and cost financially associated with it. Uh, I think it's the only thing that allows these to, this technology in particular to be here right now. If it wasn't for AdWords, we wouldn't have it. 
Well, it sound, and it sounds like it's really paid big dividends and you guys are only about halfway through that that one year partnership. But as we get ready to, to close things out today, I really wanted to kind of tie back into, um, you know, kind of the legacy of the career field and the things that you guys are doing here um, at the academy. The BMT curriculum changes that they did last year, they really looked hard at how they were um, looking at the legacy of all airmen and introducing that airmanship, if you will, and heritage into their curriculum. So what are the things that you guys now are kind of doing to really, you know, foot stomp and, and instill that legacy piece? You know, depending on whenever uh, you came through tech school or one of the continuation courses we have in our career field, uh, one of the things that a lot of people know about is, uh, you know, our, our Three Bears Rock March that we do. We do it at uh, Police Week. We do it for the Fallen Defenders. We've done it throughout different courses we've had. Uh, currently, it's not part of the course. It's something we just do extra, either before or after training. But we still hold the uh, do a Three Bears Rock March with our initial skills airmen. And uh, they seem to uh, always enjoy it. They love it. The camaraderie's highs are going across there. And once they finish that and accomplish it, 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 it finishes or finalizes there at the uh, parade field at Camp Bullis, in which uh, we started a beret ceremony where they'll be issued the, the berets for the first time, basically giving it to them. That way they can take it back, shape it, and uh, clean it up. That way for graduation, it, it looks good. But that's something that we've tied in the, the, the ruck with a new beret ceremony and uh, it's working out real, really great and the airmen uh, seem to, to enjoy it, but we're trying to keep keep the uh, the rucking tradition alive, even though we don't do it everywhere in our career field, but uh, we're gonna keep it strong here. And you're building resilient airmen well, here I, as well. You know, absolutely, we, we talk about you know the touch points and what we do, and I go back to my you know, opening statement as far as building those airmen that can shoot, move, communicate, and those lethal and resilient airmen that we're building throughout our tech school and the, and the touch points we have. So throughout their 65 days of training, you know, we're, we're giving them our, they're full of combatives. Uh, you know, they're having, they're having to do a combatives culminating event where they will have fight each other for two minutes straight and they're just exhausted. And when they're exhausted and the, and you know, the fight is on the line, we'll put them in a red man circle and you will have to fight the red man and you will have to fight for your life because that simulates something that may be your worst day that Captain Watkins is talking to as far as an airman on the gate. You may have to put your life on the line, and we need to start building that resiliency here. We OC pepper spray all of our airmen. You know, we build that resiliency. They go through a pepper spray course where they're using their ASP and baton skills to not only do their appropriate strikes, but fight a red man while they've just been pepper sprayed. If you know, anyone's ever been pepper sprayed, that's resiliency right there in and of itself. You can go through a fight after being pepper sprayed. You know, we're having to, we're implementing night firing. We're doing you know, big exercises within, you know, airfield security, WSA security, response forces, you know, big, you know, use of force exercises, you know, culminating in, you know, the, our, one of our blocks. And then you go back and look at the Three Bears Ruck that Senior King talked about. We, we have that. We're building that beret ceremony in about a week before they graduate, giving them that nugget and saying, hey, here, here's your beret. Start shaping it. We, we read off the legacy of the beret, where it came from. That's, that's a legacy. You got to understand your legacy to really make your own. And then right at the end of the day, when we go down to dot 65 and that last day, the day they're graduating, we have a graduation run. It's a formation run. We run about a 5K. It starts at the SF Museum and it ends at the SF Museum. 
And this is the first time throughout their entire 65 days of training that we allow them to step foot inside those hollow grounds of the SF Museum. And we talk to them on those steps and we tell them, this afternoon when you graduate, you will start your legacy. You have to understand where you came from to understand where you're going. And we do 14 fallen defender push-ups to honor our 14 fallen defenders that we've lost in this war on terror right there in front of the SF Museum before they step foot into those hollow grounds and learn about their legacy and where they came from. And that afternoon they'll graduate and they'll start their own legacy as airmen and we push them out to the career field where they will continue that legacy that we've implemented in those traditions we've implemented here in tech school. And they'll honor, they will honor, I guarantee they will honor all of us past and present. And they're motivated and they're, they're ready to learn and it's absolute honor to teach a lot of these airmen and they're excited to be here. And that, that legacy is really the big sticking point. And yeah, it's an exciting time right now in our career field. Yeah, so I, I really want to thank you guys for, for taking some time out and talking. So much, so much goodness going on here at the Academy. And, you know, you guys have such an outstanding staff and, you know, care about, uh, you know, putting out lethal and ready airmen and, and making the career field as best it can be. So I really appreciate your guys' time today. Um, thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Lots of great stuff to unpack there. The security forces career field really pushing the envelope to create defenders who can shoot, move, and communicate in a more modern way using technology secured through their partnership with AFWorks and in the end creating lethal and ready disciplined airmen who will go out and represent the career field. We want to say thank you to Captain Baxter and Captain Watkins, Sergeant King and Sergeant Crook, along with Captain Dex Binion from the 343rd Training Squadron who helped us put this podcast together and taking time out of their busy schedules. As a reminder, you can follow Air Education and Training Command via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on the web at www.aetc.af.mil. Thanks for checking out the podcast as we dive into the world of recruiting, training, and education. For our entire AETC public affairs team, I'm Dan Hawkins. So long. We'll talk to you next time on Developing Mach 21 Airmen.